Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. For all the guys out there, don't forget to head on over to Facebook and join the thousands of men that are in the Man Talks community. You can search for Man Talks community in the search bar or go to facebook.com forward slash Man Talks dash community. Uh, we are also rolling out a new version of the Alliance soon, so make sure that you are signed up to our email list if you're wanting to join a global brotherhood of men who are helping to serve one another, hold each other accountable uh, and take each other to the men that they know they are capable of being. It's an incredible group, and we are opening it up to a larger audience uh, within the next month or two. So make sure you are on the email list or just sign up through the Alliance. You can go to mantalks.com forward slash the dash Alliance. So joining me today is a really cool guest, actually. I've, I'm excited to have this conversation because more and more, You've probably heard people through different books or podcasts or different resources talking about the importance of breath and the importance of breath work and how your breath and your breathing and breath work can actually change your life. And a lot of people have incredible uh, psychedelic experiences, out-of-body experiences. There's things like rebirthing. And so to get to the bottom of breath and breath work, which I've done a lot of in my past, I wanted to bring on someone who really understands the biology and and the reactions that are happening within the body when we are doing these breath breath exercises. But I also wanted to bring on somebody that has a health-related background. So today joining me is Niraj Naik, and he's a, a qualified pharmacist who comes from a background of working very long hours for several years as a community pharmacist. Becoming a certified drug dealer at the ripe old age of 24, he got to witness firsthand many clients going home with shopping bags full of drugs each month, rarely getting better, and usually going on to suffer from other diseases because of the drugs they were taking. Uh, he also learned of the debilitating side effects of prescription medication, which drove many of the patients to have to take more drugs uh, because of the side effects. Now, Neeraj has got a interesting journey because he has gone down the path of working with some, you know, monks. He studied neurolinguistics programming. He has worked alongside uh, a, a lot of people within within Buddhism, within Hinduism, within the more traditional methodologies uh, of breath, and really understands a. a a wide gamut of really breath work and breath therapy and, and convergence with yoga. So he's got an interesting background because he understands the body, the mind, he understands the, the chemistry within the body. And really what we talk about today is not only outlining a, a few different breath methodologies like pranayama or holotropic or Wim Hof breath, but actually we talk about the, the sort of, uh, origin story about some of these breathwork processes and unpack how they can help you reduce stress, how they can help you heal illnesses, how they can uh, really allow you to be more present in your life. Because really, when you think about it, and just the, the most simple argument for how important the breath is, think about the one thing that you can't go more than, let's say, 15 minutes without. And it's the breath. You can go without water, you can go without food, you can go without your cell phone, although sometimes it might not seem like it. You can go without your friends and family for long periods of time. But what we can't go without is our breath. 
And in ancient uh, mythologies and ancient theologies and beliefs, the breath really was one of the most important aspects to understand in our life. And we've gotten a far way away from that. Uh, many of you listening to this might be sitting at your desk, you know, hunched over in your chair that you've been sitting at for a long time, and that takes an impact on our breath. And there's also, also been links in science recently and research that has shown uh, how oxygen can actually pick apart some of your cells and, and decrease your, your cellular level and cellular ability to actually process uh, CO2 and, and some of these other important pieces. So we're going to dive into all of this today in a little bit more. And at the end, towards the end, uh, Neeraj is going gonna, is gonna to share some very simple breath practices, uh, something along the lines of the box breath, which is four in, four out. Uh, but he also dives into pranayama and a few of the different methodologies that you can implement yourself uh, at home. So without any further delay, please welcome Niraj Naik. Uh, glad to be here. I am looking forward to this. I've been you know, doing some research on a lot of the work that you've been doing, and I really love some of the concepts that I feel like we're going to be diving into on this, on this episode. Uh, but first, I got to start off with the question. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. <laughs> tell tell us uh, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Right. Well, I'm really much into uh, discussing subjects like the nature of reality and how things happen and and why um, we're here at all. And if you actually think about it, like what is what? How do you define a defining moment? Because where do you start and where do you where do you stop? Because if you join join all the dots have happened throughout your life almost every moment i would say is a defining moment and mm. how far back do you go because if it wasn't for the very fact that my parents made love and had me as a baby you know i wouldn't be here at all having this conversation with you so there's you know there's so many different defining moments goes way back beyond even the fact that the planet was created in the first place you know so i would say the most single biggest defining moment if i had to pick one would be when I really, really went deep on myself because I got very sick, very, very sick with a, with a debilitating chronic illness called ulcerative colitis that left me like housebound for almost a year. And the trigger for that was really the insight that I had into our healthcare system, how broken it is, and what really makes us sick and what makes causes disease in the first place, and then how to fix it. Because basically what happened was I was a community pharmacist and I was very disillusioned with the healthcare system. I would literally be dishing out pills all day long, standing on my feet all day long, eight hours a day, nine hours a day. Uh, I was just like a robot working in a factory, really, and it was quite a soulless um, existence, not, not really what I signed up for. And what happened was I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to help people with their health. Uh, cause that's really why people do any kind of healthcare profession, uh, in the first place. And unfortunately I just didn't feel like I was serving people in this system called the national healthcare service we have in the UK. And slowly I became more and more depressed, more and more disillusioned, more and more stressed out until I broke, I completely broke uh, down. I had a nervous breakdown and everything. And friends of mine 
took me kicking and screaming to a um, Tony Robbins seminar. And I was like, why on earth would I want to go and see this kind of, you know, guru stuff? Um, but I went along anyway, because uh, they forced me to, they bought me a ticket and everything, because I was really at a low point. And it was incredible. It transformed a lot of my perception of the nature of reality, what human potential really is about, and how you can actually uh, fix disease by changing your diet. Really simple stuff on diet that I learned for the first time, which you are not aware of in, in all of the training you go through as a pharmacist. There's very little if any training on nutrition and diet. So what happened was I um, started to apply this knowledge in the pharmacy uh, by writing healthy shopping lists, uh, simply by changing people's diet. And it took me on down the path of learning more about Ayurveda and holistic health and things like this. And I had an amazing um, results in the pharmacy. I was curing people left, right and center. And it was insane. Even doctors were phoning me up going, what, what are you doing? This is incredible. Unfortunately, I got fired from my job and uh, it was probably one of the best things that happened, like knowing that I was doing something good and that I was uh, shaking up the belief systems a little bit inside the pharmacy. Even though I got fired, I ended up getting promoted to the head office of one of the biggest corporations in the world. I'm not going to name any names. And I was given the opportunity to carry out this healthy shopping system on a big scale through their website and they would have access to millions of customers in the UK. So I thought I was going to be, this was my big break. Um, unfortunately, about six months into it, uh, the, the team kind of had an emergency meeting and they decided to call off the whole project because uh, they felt it was too renegade. So they felt that it was like, going to impact on the future profits of the company if it got too popular. And it ended up getting watered down so much to the point where it wasn't really going to be much of a service to people because ultimately I was telling people not to eat all the stuff or drink the stuff, especially soda, fizzy drinks, that, um, that actually are the things that really make people sick in the first place. So what happened was then I got really, really sick again uh, with depression and disillusionment. And this manifested as a disease called ulcerative colitis, which left me housebound for almost a year. And uh, it was hell. It was one of the, the most insanely challenging things I've ever been through because you have to go to the toilet 40 times a day. Plus, you're shitting blood like nonstop. And you have no social life because you don't want to go out in case you have to run to the toilet and there's no toilet and you crap yourself. And this was happened to me many times a day. And literally, it was like my life had fallen apart. And the doctors gave me two options. Uh, either you become a guinea pig on a drug that hasn't been tested yet, or they can take my colon out and I'll be shitting through a bag for the rest of my life. So I was like super depressed. I was like, what have I done to deserve this? You know, there's no God. God doesn't exist. There's no spirituality in this world, blah, blah, blah. All of the things that you'd go through if you're going through a a bit of a existential crisis. So luckily then came to my rescue, uh, now very close friend of a family, Swami Ambikananda, who basically taught me the foundations of pranayama, yoga, and Ayurveda to a level that I hadn't understood before, uh, way beyond anything that I had learned in any seminar before that as well. And it was very simple. That was a great thing about it. It was so profoundly simple. 
So I started to apply the pranayama techniques, which are these breathing techniques. And I had really, really amazing success with just the amount of stress relief I would get from this changing the way I breathe. And then what happened was I got started to get drawn towards the sauna. And the sauna at this spa, which was near my house, was an amazing place to go and just relax and chill. And um, I found in the sauna the power of meditations that I was learning and the breath work that I was learning from my Swami was just heightened, magnified. And I used to get into these, like, kind of, you call them shamanic, kind of altered states of consciousness in, in the sauna. And I started to delve into these meta reprogramming techniques. They'd become more popular in the 60s, had been forgotten about during the acid movement, the LSD culture, um, alternative movement that happened then. People got very much into mind control and, and being able to manipulate altered states of consciousness for therapeutic effects. People like Timothy Leary, people like that were um, really delving deep in this. And I started to go into all of these subjects and started to apply these techniques to try and um, see if I could rapidly heal myself. And literally within, a, a, I'd say, a couple of months, I was well again, a full uh, back to normal. But not only that, I started to like able to manifest stuff like really weirdly, like anything I would think of and go into the sauna and, and wish for and, and put into my subconscious operating system um, would suddenly manifest very quickly. Like uh, I... I a musician and I got really deep back into creativity and making therapeutic music that would accompany these guided meditations and breathwork techniques. And basically what happened was I would uh, uh, always dream, visualize of, because I'd, I'd put a lot of like nature sounds in the background and ocean sounds. And I'd always visualize like being, making this music on the beach and surrounded by nature in a tropical island. And literally like the first holiday I went on after being housebound for um, almost 12 months, uh, this guy had called me up and said that he wanted to name his spa after my music. I'd made a little music outfit and I was putting out these meditation tracks on YouTube. And he said he loves my music. He loves what I'm about and wants to call the spa in Langkawi in Malaysia after me. Uh, my name, uh, I used to go under back then, was Amaya. And um, I said, sure, no worries. He asked me permission. I said, but as long as you give me, um, you know, a free holiday out there. And he goes, of course, certainly. So I went out there and um, I remember just walking up to Spa and there was just all this amazing, beautiful just scenery and stuff that they'd created around Spa and just hearing my music as a soundtrack to it. And then I had like this massage whilst listening to my own um, kind of guided breathwork meditations uh, at the same time. And I was like, this is this shit works. There's something about this that seems to work. And the deeper you go into the subconscious operating system and learn how to program it, the the more miraculous effects can can appear to to happen. And since that point, my life has just been on this amazing roller coaster ride of just living, you know, a laptop lifestyle, living in different countries, having a new and now a community. The Soma Breath community, all people into the same kind of stuff. It attracts a lot of like-minded people. And um, just sharing all these passions with people and, you know, collaborating with people like Wim Hof, uh, the superhuman um, who's become a really good friend of mine. We I co-host events with him. And uh, just generally, like, being free from that job that was 
I think I think people who listen to this may have can share uh, some of the, the same um, experiences, maybe what, why they got into what they're doing now, or if they're already if they're stuck, feeling stuck right now, maybe they can get inspired from the fact that that defining moment for me is possible for anyone else as well. It's not just it's like it's just I'm a special case. I, I've heard many stories, people making breakthroughs from very challenging circumstances by going inwards rather than relying on this very broken system we have for, for nice. change. Nice. So, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love the journey <laughs> that was spawned out of that. You know, I love the journey that was spawned out of that space where you started to really create something different for your life and not even only create something different, but started to attract and feel and think something different in in your life and it's such an incredible journey when you're faced with that level of of confrontation in your health and i know so many people go through this in in various forms whether it's you know challenges with their health mentally or if it's a physical uh physical ailment that they've been struggling with for a long time and can't seem to move through and and it's very interesting to hear how many stories over the last you know, however many decades have, have started to come out of people that have gone non-traditional routes and have been able to really shift their level of not only just level of awareness, but their their health within their body. And so, and I, you know, even I've experienced that to a certain mm-hmm. degree and, and seen it with people in my life. And, and it's such an incredible transformation. So I'm curious, you know, there were some, some points along your path that really stood out to me. I think, you know, one of them was your mentor. Like, who would you classify as, as somebody who's had like a really outside of Wim Hof, obviously, but it sounds like there was a couple of people that really added to you. So who would you sort of point to as one of your mentors along the path? Um, I've had a few, like, but I think my Swami has been very much a, a very, very, very strong support um, getting me into the path I'm in now. And, you know, I owe her a lot, a lot. Uh, but I, I have various other, men, you know, ver- mentor. We tend to have mentors for different areas of your life, right? You have a business mentor. Um, I have an amazing business partner now, an investor in the Renegade Pharmacist, who um, I really admire because he he's just crushes it and has a great heart and soul. And it's not easy to find people. Um, there's a guy called John Davey, a very good friend of mine. It's very hard to find people who who understand wealth and, and creating abundance, but at the same time have their heart in the right place, you know, and they're not uh, conforming to the old kind of ways of doing things. You know, they're open to new, new things. So I've had like a mentor for my business life. I've had a mentor for my, my spiritual life. And then I have musical mentors as well. Like music has been a huge, huge part of my life. Like that was really what I always wanted to be was, rock star or dj right and um i happened to uh become very close friends with the the manager of muse have you heard of muse the band muse yeah absolutely yeah so the guy who discovered them and uh, made them who they are today unfortunately he's passed away now but he was like very close to me safter jaffrey he really encouraged me to not become a pharmacist i sorry not become a, a musician uh, in the in the modern music industry, he told me, "Well, because I used to come home from um, the pharmacy complaining all the time about how corrupt the system is, and tell him like I really want to get into music. That's all I want to do." But he kept encouraging me 
to just pursue going deep on the on the pharmacy thing because he felt that I could had add more value there because he he really was disillusioned with the music industry himself. Like he'd seen it all, he'd been through the whole thing. His company produced like Coldplay, Radiohead, like major big bands and big albums. And um so he's seen it all. And he said, look, it's not all as glamorous as it seems. You know, what you're doing right now is way more worthwhile. And it and just that kept me focused on on the value that I was giving as a pharmacist, you know. And there is a lot of value that, that we can give in the medical system if we have the right tools, you know, because people are very sick, they're really desperate, they're looking for advice and help, but the system doesn't serve them. And what's really warming to me now is the amount of doctors and pharmacists who are coming to me for learning what I do and then applying it for their clients and patients and getting amazing results. And they're not like just uh, ditching the, the, the allopathic way of doing things. because There is a place for that as well. But they are also um, uh, embracing this new holistic ways of treating people. One of those people, actually, um, I went to, I sought him out. He's a an amazing guy. He's a yogi in the Himalayas in Rishikesh, Dr. Prakash Maush. He uh, did studies on pranayama and showed clinically how you can use various pranayama techniques for um, changing the physiological state, uh, promoting good bacterial growth, uh, just killing bad bacteria, lowering blood pressure, basically making your own uh, drugs at will, basically, and influencing your physiology. So you, you activate your, mm. awaken your inner pharmacy. And he put a lot of the science to what I had already done. And he had kind of given me a lot of proof. So I went to train with him and I learned some amazing stuff um, up in the Himalayas. So that's, you know, so there's been like people along the line that have been like amazing mentors. And, and I think everyone has that, right? They have this, their um, circle of influence, people who have been amazing influences on them. And some of my mentors aren't uh, just uh you know people i've met in person their books their interviews they're like people with courses that i've bought and studied and i think almost everyone is like a mentor to you but what i've started to learn to realize the most now is that i call it the supermind group so we have mastermind groups right mastermind groups is where you maybe meet me up once a week or uh once a month or something with a bunch of people who do like-minded stuff but i call I, I, I believe that the, the people who have the most impact on your life, the most influence on your life and, and who you are, is your supermind. And these are the people, who, the last five people you spoke to on your, on your Facebook messenger or your text message or your WhatsApp. It's the people who you speak to literally every day. And that is the most important people to have close to you because they shape your life more than anything else. You know, because we're, we're literally a product of our environment, you know to quite a big degree, much more than most people realize how much, if you just join the dots on how many things have had to happen just for me and you to have this conversation right now on the internet, you know, so many influences have happened in our life uh, and so many tools and inventions had to be created for this even to happen and be able to be possible. But ultimately, it's the, the influence of the people that you speak to day in, day out, every day, who you've got to be really careful of. So if any advice I would to give to uh, anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur is to really monitor your 
who you're speaking to every single day. Because what you do every day mm-hmm. is what will become your life. Like, if you want to become good at anything, do it every day. And if you want to become really good at managing your mind and your thoughts, then you need to be very good at managing who you speak to every day. Because that influence is beyond anything else that you're going to yeah. have. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that yeah. that's, you know, one of the things that that I have seen time and time again is that when people start to shift their own internal landscape, usually their external landscape starts to shift with them. And one of the biggest shifts is is when they start to surround themselves with different people or like-minded people, but also when they are able to, if the other people are willing, bring some of those people with them. You know, and I think that oftentimes we... Some, I mean, it's it's interesting because some people will write off the other people that are in their life that have that negative mindset, and other people try so hard to hold on to them. You know, the more that they elevate in their life, they try and hold on to these people that were a part of their past that might not fit in anymore. And uh, what I've seen is that the the most effective people are the ones that try and elevate the people around them and, and the people that, that yes. aren't willing to be elevated in the same space naturally self-select out, you know, and, and, and it's because yes. they are, they sort of like, they're so attached to their narrative. They're so attached to their story and that they don't want to let it go. And they don't want, they see that, that you're making progress and they don't want to come along on the journey. So I love that. I love that piece yep. of advice. I kind of want to go back to a little bit around your your lessons. You mentioned that you started to learn Ayurvedic and, and this pranayama breathing methodology in a deeper sense from your Swami. And, you know, something that stuck out to me there that just sort of caught my attention was, you know, it sounded like you already knew this information, but you started to learn it in a more deep, integrated way. So why don't we just start with like a very simple simple space of can you just define a little bit around ayurvedic medicine how it differs from traditional medicine and then and 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 pranayama breathing and and we can just kind of go from there i think i think that'll be a good base (laughs) brilliant brilliant yeah so ayurveda is like the ancient indian system of of healthcare basically medicine and uh what they the ancient rishis they're very they're very very smart actually um because they say that there's no one size that fits all. Um, there's no blanket uh, panacea treatment for any anything uh, because everyone's an individual, everyone's different, okay? So unfortunately, a lot of modern healthcare, uh, and this is where it be- there's a big difference, is it tries to blanket treat everybody right, with, this, with these drugs that are not smart or intelligent. And what Ayurveda states is that nature knows best and you're your best healer. And once you find your the guru within then the healing becomes uh, much more uh, free flowing. So when they say that there's no one size fits all, what they mean is that we all have different energy uh, components in the body. There's three different energy types. Uh, they're called doshas, which is pitta, vata, kapha. Right? I'm a vata pitta. And then some people are kapha. They tend to be quite prone to putting on weight. A bit bigger and have different personality types from vata types. I'm much more of a vata pitta type uh, who it doesn't put on weight very easily, uh, learns things very quickly, but forgets things very quickly. And what they knew was <laughs> that, that we all have like certain personality types based on our body types that are similar to each other, but uh, we all differ and have different characteristics. 
So what they do is they there's the personality test as well as a, a quiz on um, working out what your dosha type is. And through this, you can actually determine the treatment protocol that's best for you. And you can actually find out a lot about yourself. So because I'm a Vata type, it actually means I was more prone uh, under stress to getting colon problems. They already know all this stuff. So um, I actually discovered that a bit more after um, when I got sick, when I learned Ayurveda and went really deep on these personality types that, holy crap, this is why I got ulcerous colitis. This is exactly why. And now this is what I need to do to fix it. And so another really big common problem in, in not the modern healthcare system, but in this fitness diet world is that everyone should go on paleo diet or everyone should become a, a vegan or everyone should do raw food. Whereas Ayurveda doesn't say that. They say that actually, if you just go on a raw food diet and you're the wrong energy type for that raw food diet, it's going to make you ill. Uh, but if you are a certain uh, diet, uh, uh, energy type, like the kapha, then raw food actually suits you. People who are prone to putting on weight shouldn't eat very oily, heavy foods. They should eat more lighter foods that are devoid of sugar and, and lots of oils. Whereas people like me who... If I eat raw foods, I would lose weight super fast and become super skinny, which is exactly what I did. It happened to me because I tried everything when I was trying to heal myself from the colitis. Before I knew all this stuff, I was like really screwed up because I was reading all this this disinformation on the internet saying, oh, this is a cure for everything. Vegan diet is cure, cures everything. And I fell into that hole and uh, got sick. So... Um, I believe, yes, there is a lot of evidence that being more veggie, vegan is definitely going to be better for you in the long run because of the, the meat processing and, and the big manufacturing pro, uh, problem that we have with processed foods. But I've realized that I can't tell everyone to stop eating meat. I can't tell everyone to go on a raw food diet. I can't tell everyone to do be a vegan or anything like that because it, it's not like that. And that's why I love the Ayurvedic approach, which is there's not... Uh, it's based on your your characteristics, your human individuality. So that then also goes into um, the pranayama. So if you imagine yoga has branches to it. Um, yoga comes from this Rig Veda, this ancient uh, Indian text from nobody even knows the origins of it, which is the uh, origins of the Vedic philosophy, which is where Hinduism comes from. Hinduism became the religion based on this philosophy, all right, this way of life that was uh, given to people through poems and sing songs and hymns and passed down through through in this way, not written down. And then somebody wrote it all down and it became uh, the origins of Hinduism and stuff like that. And so yoga was like the kind of the, the way of life of it. And it has certain branches, like pranayama is a branch of it. Pranayama means literally energy control, prana, yama, all right? Prana means energy, yama means control. So what they realized was that breath is your control of your energy processes in your body. So there'll be certain breathing techniques to influence your energy to help you balance and become more in balance. And when things go out of balance, okay, that's when you get sick. That's when you get dis-ease, okay? So in Ayurveda, it's all about regaining balance, they use herbs, they use pranayama techniques, they use yoga asanas and certain affirmations and meditations in order to restore balance in the body. 
Unfortunately, modern medicine can't, it doesn't work like that. They just treat symptoms. Okay, so they don't look at the cause. They don't go to the energy, energy uh, part of the body. They go to the symptom, physical symptoms. Um, but what they realized was that actually that spirit and energy and your soul are one, one and the same thing. Okay, so spiritual, actually, the Latin root meaning of it is to breathe. When you inspire is to breathe in. When you expire, you breathe out, okay? And they believe that life was a series of inhales and exhales. So when you stop breathing, you die pretty fast, right? So spirituality actually has a strong component around breath. And the original, if you go back into the history of where religion comes from, uh, because Rig Veda is one of the most ancient texts of all, they, they believe that it may be the origins of religion itself. In there, there is a story of this legend of Soma, and Soma was a psychedelic concoction that uh, people would take and they would use this to reach the ecstatic states, the highest peak experience uh, of, that you can have as a human being. And they would use this as a way to divine sacred knowledge, as a way to reach immortality, to cleanse and heal the body and to become one with God and the oneness of everything that exists. So they'd use a psychedelic like similar to like mushrooms or ayahuasca or Something like that. There's many different ideas of what Soma could be. Maybe just Soma was a word for this uh, Alexia, whichever, whatever it was. Uh, nobody fully knows. Some people say it could be cannabis from the Kush uh, variety um, as well. Now, what um, happened was, according to the legend, the Soma runs out. Okay. Uh, and all of the Rishis, these ancient people who were in the golden age of of, of our planet when there was a lot of abundance uh, on the planet, everyone was living in harmony with each other. Uh, they started to freak out for the first time. There was a disharmony because everyone was hooked on this substance, Soma, all right? So what happened was uh, the gods basically told them to go inwards to discover how to create the Soma from within, right? And Soma um, is, a, is a, comic, a, a chemical, you could call it a tryptamines, DMT, uh, serotonin, melatonin, or, you know, a combination of tryptamines that gives you this psychedelic uh, effect, which leads to this peak experience. But what happened was in the process of doing this, this discovery of how to create the soma within, they discovered that we actually have every single medicine that we could possibly need that already exists in nature. We already have it within. So as above, so below, one of the big lessons okay, from the Bible uh, and, and also in um, Ayurveda, uh, and, and the Vedic way of looking at the world, uh, we have everything inside us. If you imagine we're like a fractal universe, uh, everything projects out and everything that exists, uh, that already exists, exists at the same time. Uh, and there is no time and space. So we have everything already contained in us as that's out in the external world. Okay, if we choose to look inwards and find it. So they discovered through different techniques, and, and breath was the, the way to influence the physiology, that we could manufacture our own medicines. And through further practice, deeper practice, and using yoga asanas and uh, breath and meditations, we could actually create the soma within, the sacred molecule, the spirit molecule that gives us a direct com communication with God. Now, that is something that I have gone really deep into. Since I discovered how to heal myself, 
I've helped a lot of people heal themselves using these pranayama techniques as well, mixed in with the yoga and, and Ayurveda and, uh, and my own kind of like my own self inquiry and, and finding out my own little hacks and, and also studying other ancient traditions as well, not just the Indian one, going into Chinese medicine, going into uh, some of the Mexican uh, Mayan ways of, of, of looking at the world. And from that, I developed my own system of creating the Soma, which I call Soma. And um, I feel like I've revived this ancient tradition that's been lost and forgotten. Um, and it goes back into this ancient Himalayan way of doing yoga, this ancient Himalayan way of influence the body. And if you've heard of a book called The Autobiography of the Yogi, uh, there's a story, there's many stories in there of these superhuman yogis who um, basically have hacked their body to such a degree that they can do all kinds of supernatural, crazy stuff. Um, and I actually was, I, I knew that you could heal yourself, right? But I was skeptical about whether you really could create these supernatural abilities until I started to have this crazy ability to manifest stuff and attract things into my life. And I have to be careful of what I think of because weird stuff happens and and I've met like crazy people along the way, like Uri Geller, this world famous psychic who bends spoons with his mind. And he became a mentor as well. Actually, I've had various mentors like Wim Hof, who is a, he is like a superhuman, you know, people uh, who, who know of him, like, you know, he's done some incredible feats. But he's like, a, he's a yogi, right? He does yoga at a very high level. And this all just gave me further proof in these ancient traditions that actually, yes, we can create superhuman states. Um, and so I went really deep on the science of why and how and the mechanism of this. And that's now what I'm really going into with deeper research, with helping people with activating the superhuman component potential of the mind and the body. I like it. I like it. And so, I mean, that's, I think that gives a good foundation for the background around Ayurvedic, you know, the, the origins and, and what people can expect in terms of not only where it came from, but sort of the the unfolding of it in, in real life. And, you know, I like that you brought up people like Wim Hof, who I think the modern day person would just see him as a bit of an extremist. But, you know, you're right. He really is a yogi. And if you do his program and if you work with him and yeah. I've had the pleasure of, you know, working with him and meeting him at, at Summit Series and a few other a few other locations. And and yeah, I mean, he's just he he's he's just that he's he's a yogi who's using these extreme methods of proving to people what the body and the mind are actually capable of and i also really like the fact that yeah. you uh you know pointed out that a, a lot of the things that the body requires are already in the body and that there are ways in which we can tap more directly into uh into those things you know you mentioned dmt and Things like serotonin and dopamine and these, uh, you know, different different chemicals that are that are already within the body, and we try them seek them outside of the body to elicit these responses and you know hack yeah. our system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they already exist within our system. So, so let's let's kind of shift gears into the different forms of breathing methodologies because this is something that over the last year I've become really interested in it. it's become a, a, a part of my everyday routine you know pranayama breathing uh the wim hof methodology um and uh, holotropic breathing 
And the results that I have gotten, you know, it just in my everyday life have been phenomenal, you know, not not just like a, a physical sense and a, and a meditative stance, but again, like you said, just just my ability to um, kind of dive into certain areas like resiliency and manifestation and and things that I normally wouldn't be able to or or previously wouldn't be able to produce. So, why don't we just start with pranayama since that that seems to be something that has really been front and center for you? Um, the methodology of pranayama breathing, if you could just describe it in layman's terms, how would you how would you define it? Yeah, sure, certainly. So. It really depends on the intention. Um, what it what is the result that you're looking for from the practice? So, pranayama is actually like a if you think about it, it's like a pharmacy of different breathing techniques. They each technique has a specific kind of aim um, to it, and um, so there's different types of breath work out there, like holotropic, um, rebirthing, stuff like that. And that also has its aim and intention and purpose. Um, but they're not all the same, right? So you can't confuse pranayama, the end goal of pranayama with the end goal of rebirthing or holotropic because those um, more intense practices like uh, rebirthing, for example, uh, are more about actually kind of catharsis and getting rid of like negative imprints and emotions that we get stored in the body which is very different from what pranayama is about. Uh, although you'd say that holotropic is one of the techniques within pranayama because ultimately these breathing practices have a, a, a root that is the same. It comes from these ancient tantric practices, all about being able to have control over our physiology. Now, the way I like to look at it is from the perspective of intention and what is it that you really are looking to 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 do with your body what are you trying to get so um if you look at it like this our nervous system has two pathways it has the sympathetic and the parasympathetic pathways the sympathetic pathway deals with fight and fly it's the action side of our, our neurology it's uh it what it's what makes us go up get up and do stuff and make things happen the parasympathetic is our rest and digest mode. It's what lowers the heart rate. It's what puts us into um, a more calm, relaxed state so we can go to sleep and digest our food better. So if you look at it from the perspective that the yogis knew that we can in actually directly influence these two parts of our nervous system just through the power of breath, okay, you can start to understand how different breathing techniques can be used to literally wake up the inner pharmacy because drug companies as well, pharmaceutical companies, they work on each side of the, the neurology. So blood pressure medication, heart medication, uh, stuff that uh, helps us get asleep, sleeping pills, all of these things works on the parasympathetic nervous system to take turn off the adrenaline, the active side of the, of the body. And there's a huge industry in that, a huge, huge trillion-dollar industry all around working on a parasympathetic nervous system to make us feel more relaxed and to be able to sleep and think do things like that and lower our blood pressure prevent heart attacks stuff like that whereas the sympathetic nervous system um actually is also in the realms of like recreational drugs uh like cocaine and amphetamines and mdma things like that but it's also 
uh, in the realms of like steroids and things that actually lower inflammation in the body. So the pharmaceutical companies, they, they know that if we work on these sides of the neurology, uh, we can make physiological changes in the body that will lead to a certain specific result. However, for many, many years, we have been led to believe that we have no conscious control over these involuntary functions. Okay, it was this, um, actually, this, uh, the first ever guy to actually prove that we do uh, under scientific study in the West was Swami Rama when he went over in the 70s and under scientific study showed that you can actually change your uh, body temperature at will. You can even stop your heart for several seconds as he did and not die. And he had like total mastery over the body, physical body. Now I come from that school of thought. I'm more about, okay, as a pharmacist, how can we help people get the power back without side effects that you get with medications where you can directly influence your physiology uh, using the power of breath? Because breathing is the one thing we have conscious control over um, but also runs on autopilot. And it's actually our uh, way to influence our physiology consciously. Okay, so Wim Hof is another guy. He, he showed that in the scientific study. I cured myself of chronic illness using breathing techniques as a core part of it. It wasn't the only thing, but it was a, a dramatic part of it. And it's because I tapped into my immune system and, and switched off the inflammation. Okay. Um, I also show a, a thing where um, within like a few seconds, I'll show you how you can raise your heart rate up by 20 beats a minute, lower it by 20 beats per minute. And it looks like magic, but it's not. It's just knowing how to um, affect the physiology using breathing and, and certain other yoga techniques. So for me, as a clinical kind of pharmacist, trying to help people with their health and wellness and 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 uh, their, their performance in, in different areas of life. I'm really drawn to the, far, uh, the pranayama school of thought, where there is no one size fits all. The, one of the problems with breath work is that people are going out there saying the holotropic breath works like this amazing cure-all for everything, or rebirthing is this thing that's going to cure you of every problem in your life. It's not, I don't believe that's true. And um, the, far, the, the, the uh, pranayama school was more like a prescription of different breathing techniques for different changes in 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 the body and that's where I, what I'm really drawn towards and I've actually created my own like daily routine it's a little bit inspired from Wim Hof as well but it's it's very much drawn to um uh from the teachings my swami gave me when I wanted to heal myself from chronic illness and when I I I I wanted to basically get rid of the dogma and look at it from a scientific perspective and when I went to Rishikesh, I spent some time with this doctor who actually really made me understand for the first time the physiological um, impact of certain breathing techniques over the, the body. And I can talk to you a little bit about that. I can tell you some basic things that you should know if you're approaching breathwork, because it will make you really a lot more empowered when you're trying to go to any other breathwork um, kind of class or anything like that in understanding what they're telling you is true and what isn't from a more physiological, biological perspective. Because a lot of people who teach things like breath work and all that stuff, are um, they're not trained at all in physiology or biology. They have no understanding of the science and the biochemistry of what happens when you breathe. 
and actually can be doing more harm than good um, in the long run. So I, I want to empower people, actually, and, and maybe I can share some basic things that I've, well, I mean, I, I, the proof is in myself with my own health, but in my community that's been growing all around breathwork, I'm seeing some incredible results just by teaching them some very basic things from pranayama. So do you want me to share share some of that? Yeah, I think it'd be great because in, in many ways, you know, I think in these types of experiences, you know, the more that I've sort of gotten into it and started to unpack it and dig in, the more I see, you know, the autonomic nervous system and how breath work and, and mindfulness and meditation start to tap into the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And so I think just having a basic understanding of why those things are working and how they're functioning could be pretty, pretty powerful. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. So here's some of the golden rules, okay, that you need to, you must know. So when you inhale, when you take a breath in, you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system raises your heart rate. It creates higher blood pressure. It's your action part of the body, okay? It deals with fight and flight and doing stuff, making stuff happen, okay? Uh, if it goes on for too long, it can lead to chronic stress in the body, okay? And actually, quite often, we um, under stress, we instinctively breathe in and hold our breath in, okay? It's it's actually a primitive um, hardwired imprint because the first thing that happens when you're born is you take a big breath in. It's the first time you're detached from your mother uh, as your source of um, nourishment and comfort. And you take that brief, deep, deep breath in and it's the first time that you uh, literally you hold on to it because you, you don't know if you're going to have a, you know, another source of, uh, of um, nourishment. And then you release and you exhale. Okay. Now, when you exhale, actually, we stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Okay. And inspire actually means to breathe in. Expire means to breathe out. And that actually comes from the Latin root spiritual. Spirit, espiritu, actually means to breathe, breath. Okay. So conspire, I mean, we're going off a little bit of a tangent, but conspire means to breathe together. And I'll talk about the importance of that in a bit but if you just remember those things so when you breathe in you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system when you breathe out you stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system so with that logic it's very simple if you breathe out for a longer time than you breathe in because if your exhale is longer than your inhale you stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and you switch the stress off okay think of uh, let's take away the dogma now okay so According to the Hindu uh, school, which is actually the more kind of um, dogmatic side of, of these ancient spiritual teachings from India, that before that you have yoga, pranayama. If you look at that, there's a, a lot, a strong emphasis on Aum, the chant Aum. Okay. Aum is simply like a breathing technique in itself. When you breathe in and go Aum, what you're actually doing is you're breathing out for a longer time than you breathe in. So what you're doing, you're stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. So what does that do? do? It switches off the stress. It actually brings you into a more calm, relaxed state and you go more into your flow. Okay, so the noise of the day goes away and it's easier for you to meditate. So a lot of people would do Aum chanting um, before they do things like yoga and, and, and or any kind of meditation. It's like a way to get into the state 
It's a state change. But if you think about it, it's quite simple, logical. Now you can understand why it works. Okay. Uh, there's a bit more to Orm because each syllable actually resonates with the body in different ways. But ultimately, if you just look at it from that perspective, you'll see now why it makes these physiological changes. Okay. So this with the same thing. So if you breathe in, okay, and hold your breath in, okay, what happens is you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and one of the things that people do, and is another reason why um, people sometimes called uptight when they're like uptight, a bit stressed, nervous, is we instinctively breathe in and we might contract our sphincter muscles a bit. Okay. Now, when people do that, where they're a little bit uptight, it can actually lead to things like constipation, but it means that they're nervous, they're stressed. Your breathing is also a reflection of what's going on in the mind. Okay. And actually, but there's also a positive use of that as well. If you know how to inhale and hold your breath in the right way on the inhale and contract your sphincter muscles for a certain amount of time, okay, um, you can actually stimulate this positive stress response in the body where you actually create like an anti-inflammatory effect because you create a short burst of adrenaline. A pharmacist will give an injection of adrenaline to people who have an anaphylactic shock, okay? Because what it does is it it stops the inflammation, it brings the inflammation down. It's like actually a little natural hit of steroids, okay? Um, And actually, if you do it in the right way, the right routine, okay, you can actually relieve things like chronic inflammation in the body um, by using, it's called the mullabunda, by using the mullabunda and breath retention the right way, okay? So the next thing, well, uh, this is like I believe it's, if everyone just did this for a few minutes a day, it could change the life of many people, again, their health, is rhythmic breathing, okay? So diaphragmic rhythmic breathing. So when you breathe in a rhythm, and this is actually the cornerstone of yogic teaching, actually, is rhythmic breathing, is you're, what you're doing is you're breathing in. Say you do a four to the four. Let's say you breathe in for four, breathe out for four as a as a as a routine as a as a rhythm okay when you breathe in a rhythm what you do is you create a harmonization of your physiology okay so what you're doing is you're breathing in for the same length of time as you breathe out so you're actually balancing your physiology okay so if you're not too much parasympathetic you're not too much sympathetic you actually create like a balance in the body and that can actually have a very, very dramatic influence over your moods. You can become more calm and go into this kind of alpha brainwave state. You actually create something called coherence, okay, where your heart rate variability flows into coherence. Now, that's too much for me to explain in this short call, but you can go out and, and do some research on that. A heart math have done some great studies on coherence and what it can do. But what it does is it optimizes your heart flow of blood to your brain okay and you actually will start to feel really really good if you breathe in a rhythm just for a few minutes a day okay it's really cool but you can also do this you could breathe in a rhythm where you're breathing in for two and breathing out for four so you're still breathing in a rhythm so you breathe in for two out for four i like to do it to music so say there's music that has a beat to it you breathe in for two beats out for four beats so what you're doing is you're stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system and you can go into a very calm, relaxed state. It's really good if you want to sleep or relax or you want to 
like heal, go into a healing state because the parasympathetic is also associated with healing. But this four, four breathing, this rhythmic breathing, okay, where you're breathing in for the same amount of time as you're breathing out is an amazing like natural state to be in during the day. If you want to get into flow, if you've got stuff you want to get done, if you want to be calmer, more focused and productive. All right. Now, here's the thing, though. All right. When you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen. When you breathe out, you breathe out carbon dioxide. Okay, that's just nat- that's just like very basic biology. Now, this is the one thing that yogis understood very, very, very well thousands of years ago, which is that oxygen is like a fuel for the fire that's going on inside. Okay, so we have an inner fire. Okay, an inner fire which is inside every single mitochondria in our cells of our body. The mitochondria is where the energy is produced. The oxygen is just like when you add air to the fire, the oxygen helps the fire burn and breathe. Okay, now imagine if we have a fire in the body. If you have too much oxygen, you the the fire burns too bright. Okay, and it can cause damage. It causes oxidative stress on the body, which leads to oxidative damage on the cells and can actually lead to free radical damage, mutations, and all the stuff that's associated with chronic stress, okay? However, too little oxygen, okay, means the fire doesn't burn at all, and you you don't have any energy at all, okay? So we need the right balance of oxygen. So that's why pranayama is actually energy control. Actually, prana means energy, yama is control, okay? So the whole point of, of, of yoga, actually, the the, the real, if you look at it right, what is the purpose? What's the intention of this, this practice in terms of your physical health? Okay, it's to become really, really, really efficient at using oxygen, having the, needing the least amount of oxygen as possible. Okay, the reason for that is because oxygen creates stress on the body. You will live longer the less you breathe. That is, that is a cornerstone of pranayama, like belief. That is, the less you need to breathe, the longer you're going to live. Okay. And this is now backed up now. Um, you can see many of the studies. Uh, Harvard have even done studies on oxygen and its effect on your blood vessels. If you have too much oxygen stress, it leads to like rusting in the body. You get this rusting effect in the body. So controlling oxygen and the rate of oxygen is imperative for your long-term health if you want to live longer. Okay. And yoga as a science is all about becoming super efficient at using oxygen. It works on the mitochondria and it trains every muscle in your body, every cell in your body to be stronger and more resilient at to stress and to require less oxygen. Okay. Like, so what yoga actually at its core, and this is where the yoga industrial complex that is out there at the moment is completely um, gone off the original truth of what yoga is about is that yoga at its core is about creating efficiency using oxygen because it's a static exercise it's anaerobic exercise okay so you would use you use breath control techniques with yoga to slow the rate of oxygen down with each asana where you're holding each pose beyond the comfort zone so you're you're holding each pose to the exhaustion point and because you're under static contraction no more blood can flow to the muscle that is being contracted. When you're under contraction, blood stops flowing. So what that does is it actually means that the muscle's forced to use whatever nutrients there are, that is stored in there at the time. And 
when it does that to exhaustion, what happens is it adapts. It adapts to that change. It becomes more resilient to change to, to, to that um, stress you put on it. And it grows back stronger and more efficient at using oxygen. Okay, you produce more myoglobin. You produce um, better blood flow, more capillaries, um, and better circulation around the body. Okay, now this then leads to what is the most important breathing technique of all in yoga, in pranayama. That's kumbhaka. It's the most revered one, and for some reason, the one that's kept the most secret. Uh, Wim Hof has actually brought it out there more um, into the mainstream, and that is breath retention holding your breath okay um i use breath retention techniques when i healed myself from chronic illness because what happens when you and I'm, I'm going into this more as a scientist to study this what happens when you um hold your breath beyond a certain point okay as you do like wim hof teaches you to do it i do it as well in my courses is when you hold your breath beyond a certain point okay you create a state stay known as intermittent hypoxia okay Intermittent hypoxia is where you your blood saturation of oxygen is below like 85% for a brief period of time, okay? What that triggers in the body is this physiological adaptive change to having less oxygen. So the body, it prepares for having less oxygen, okay? So what it does is it produces more red blood cells, increases blood flow all around the body. You grow new capillaries, and if you do it for the right length of time, for the right um, amount of hypoxia, the right dose, you wake up stem cells. Okay, stem cells are cells that can turn into any other cell in the body and they hate oxygen. They can only exist in, in very low oxygen environments. So they hide in the bone marrow and parts of the tissues where they're surrounded by uh, cells that use all the oxygen up where they are uh, have no oxygen so that they they can survive so they actually come out and stem cells have the, an innate intelligence to go to areas where repair needs to happen they go to sites of inflammation and they go there and they regenerate they either help lower the inflammation and and, and create restoration or they actually turn into other cells and actually grow new vessels or new parts of tissues and things like that so what the ancient yogis knew that is if you become very good at holding your breath for a certain length of time through a specific process, which um, I have now created in Soma as a, as a pra practice called the awakening, awakening because it wakes up stem cells, but it also does because you increase blood flow to the brain, you actually wake up dormant parts of the brain that haven't been used and you can move stem cells there using certain yoga techniques. What it does is it actually can lead to an anti-aging effect over the whole physiology. It can also allow you to stimulate neurogenesis. So they knew that actually with, with intention and using certain energy locks and, and, and um, holding your breath for certain periods of time, you can actually improve the growth of brain cells in certain areas of the brain where you direct it. Okay, I call it directed neurogenesis. This is actually something that's been studied already. Um, actually, there's a study where they took two groups of people. One group played a piece of music and they learned it by actually playing it. Okay, and then they took another group that just visualized playing that piece of music, playing each note, and they mapped the, the brain of each group and they found that 
that both groups had the same brain change, same change of the brain, which shows that just by intention and visualization, you can actually stimulate the growth of brain cells, okay, in areas that you want. So the yogis, they develop these deeper practices, these, these higher yoga rituals, these pranayama breathing techniques to actually invoke brain change where you can create higher abilities, mental faculties, uh, more cognitive function and more resilience to stress and more ability to survive in low oxygen environments. Hence why yogis go over to the Himalayas, they go and live in very low oxygen environments because they know that oxygen, you need to make friends with it because it can become your worst enemy. And this is how they did it. So that, that's basically a nutshell, my belief system on, on these ancient techniques. And it's what I'm bringing forward with through SOMA. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because there's so much research and, and technology that's, that's coming out to, to sort of prove and put data to everything that you're saying, right? Like you've got Dr. Joe yeah. Despinoza, who is doing a lot of research on, you know, meditation and breath work and, and putting data behind this. You've got people like Wim Hof who are now being studied uh, in, in medical environments to see what's happening within his, you know, autonomic nervous system and what's happening within his brain and his heart and, you know, trying to understand yeah. how, you know, how people are able to, for example, sit in an ice bath for whatever it was, like two hours and not have your body temperature fluctuate at all. Like these, these are the types of yeah. things. And, and, the, and the cool thing is that when you listen to even somebody like Wim Hof, he talks about how this is a yoga, breath is a yoga, and that everything yeah. that he does is, is stemming from yogic traditions. So I really appreciate yeah. the insight and, and the laying out. I think it's incredible to, to hear some of the shifts that can happen within our body, within our mind, uh, within our mindfulness. And, you know, I think if you could just give it, like a very condensed, quick version of how this will positively impact people's outcomes on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, what would you say about that? Because yeah. I know for myself how it's, how it's impacted my results daily, but why, what would you say in terms of how does this shift people on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I have a, a community now, um, which is really growing fast. Uh, we, we also have a base in Kopangan in Thailand where we have people coming in doing workshops and classes with us. And here's some of the key transformations that happen. So basically, if you're into things like law of attraction, manifesting and bending reality, stuff like that, the more woo woo stuff, um, without actually making any big, like kind of, woo woo claims myself like the results i see are dramatic in terms of people's ability to attract the things that they really want from a true will perspective where they're doing they're attracting the things they want in their life uh not like just like oh suddenly i've got a ferrari no it's things like actually like finding the loved one you know the, the life partner their um soulmates or or getting more successful in business or get the ability to actually just get shit done and attract the right people into their life. I find one of those, one of the things that happens is because what happens is, especially with this rhythmic breathing techniques is you change your emotions and emotion is energy in motion. Okay. When you change your emotion, you change your energy, you raise your energy, you change your vibrational energy. You actually operate at a different level. You, you see the world in a different way. 
And by just the sheer uh, uh, like principle of the fact that people like to hang out with positive, high vibing people. Okay, people who are successful tend to want to attract people who are successful. You tend to just start attracting by the laws of chaos theory and whatever you want to call it the people that you want into your life. Your I, I say your your um, vibe attracts your tribe. Right, it's really true. That's one of the big things that I see. The other thing is, um, okay, so a lot of people who come to us have had some kind of chronic illness that are trying to heal. And literally within a couple of months, I see dramatic changes. People with fibromyalgia, also colitis, Crohn's, any autoimmune condition. Even people who have had like high blood pressure, dramatic reduction in, in blood pressure um, by going through one of my programs. You know, just things like that. And then moods like anxiety depression i see big transformations in people who suffer a lot from fear and anxiety and phobias because because what yeah that's that's one of the big ones that i've seen too is like the the massive transformation within anxieties because people are so detached from their bodies when they're suffering from a a, you know major amount of anxiety and this really helps them drop back into and and sort of regulate the systems internally that are causing that anxiety so like if I believe, I firmly believe that every single medicine and substance that exists out in plants, we already have within our body and the means to be able to tap into it. So anything that you'd go to a pharmacy for, even down to congestion, I believe I can treat someone just through certain breathing techniques and controlling your breath. Cause that's the tap. That's the, that's the, the tap into your, your autonomic nervous system. But there are there is a place for certain drugs. I mean, there, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make any big claims and say that that all pharmaceutical drugs are bad. There is a case for that, but they're last resort things. They're like you should try everything else until, unless something is so serious that you need some kind of medical intervention. But I pretty much think anything you'd normally go to see a pharmacist for your doctor for can be fixed by yoga and and meditation and breathing if you're taught the right way of doing it because there's a lot of dogmatic stuff a lot of wishy-wishy nonsense caught up in the spiritual world and the worst thing that happened actually is when religion and yoga got mixed up because yoga isn't religion it's got nothing to do with dogma in fact yoga is all about liberating yourself from the dogma it's about unrobotizing yourself and becoming a free thinker and finding your true will it was nothing to do with like chakras and praying and uh, to some kind of idol or anything like that. It was never about that. It actually predates any kind of uh, religion. You know, nobody even really knows where it comes from. It's, it's something that evolved as a way of life, I believe, from people who were biohacking themselves. Like we're, we have biohacking now. I think these people were just trying to survive in a very harsh climate and just figured a few things out. And I think that's, that's basically what yoga is yeah, to me. Nice. Nice, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show again. It was a pleasure to have you. And, you know, I feel like these, these types of conversations are the ones that, that need to be out there. And, you know, whether, whether people are high performers or entrepreneurs or, you know, deeply spiritual or whatever it is, whatever, you know, however you label yourself, I feel like, you know, what's the one thing that you need more than anything else in order to survive? And it's the breath. And so this is really the foundation of, of where everything needs to start. So I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
And uh, we'll have the links to your your site and some of your work in, in the show notes. So don't forget to check those out. And for everybody that's listening, don't forget to head on over to whatever platform you listen to us on, whether it's Spotify or Google Play or iTunes, and subscribe. Leave us a rating and a review. It goes a long way. And just man it forward to one person. Just share this episode with one person who you know would love it, might want to geek out on it, and uh, would find value in this conversation. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.